Hello, and welcome to The Exit presented by Flippa. This is a 30-minute podcast featuring amazing entrepreneurs who have been there and they have done it. The Exit talks to operators who have bought and sold businesses of all different sizes. You'll learn how they did it, why they did it, and get exposure to the world of exits. It's a world occupied by a small few, but accessible to many. Now, in this episode, I sit down with Sunny View. He's a fantastic entrepreneur who sold misfit wearables to Fossil. Now, this story is one that I remember reading in the headlines back when I was getting into startups in 2012-ish. And this was such an honor to sit down with Sonny and talk through all the different details around how they came across that deal, how it clicked with Fossil because they wanted to work with all the brands that were owned and operated by Fossil. And just really cool to understand how a deal like this happens and the structure of it. So without further ado, let's jump right into my interview here with Sunny Vu. All right, everybody. Today, I am joined by Sunny Vu, and he is the CEO of Arivo and also the executive chairman of Impact Biosystems. How's it going today, Sunny? Great. Thanks for having me here, Steve. Yeah, excited to dig into your exits. But before we get into that, let's talk about your background. How did you get into business and entrepreneurship? Uh, sure thing. Well, if we were to start from the beginning, it would be my first job. Uh, I, I've been saying that my first and my current or last job has been the same. And uh, so I started life uh, uh, selling fireworks as a kid when I was uh, 12 years old, actually. So I, I love fireworks. July 4th was my favorite holiday growing up in Oklahoma City. And, uh, you know, mom used to take me to the fireworks stand outside the city. Uh, you know, it was usually around late June. And then one day I, uh, I was you know, impatiently waiting behind this lady who, who was being sold fireworks. And anyways, I got impatient with a the salesperson there and told them that they're doing a terrible job. And then I, um, I kind of upsold some of the customers. And so the owner of that stand said, why don't you come work for me? <laughs> so I, I said, mom, come on, let me do it. And I'm like, hmm, I'm pretty sure this is underage, but she gave me 20 bucks to work for the day. And I ended up selling that week each day more than the everyone else combined at the at the fireworks stand mainly because i was just really into the product and i knew my stuff anyway so that was the beginning of a of a long uh <laughs> of, of what i've basically been doing the same of uh since then and in a sense maybe i'm still selling fireworks uh but hopefully uh things with more substance these days deep that's very deep and the same yeah right <laughs> still selling fireworks i love that you knew the product you were you liked the product you were passionate about it and therefore People. You know, the lady was like, I want bright stuff and loud stuff. And the salesperson there said, oh, you should get lady fingers. I'm like, lady fingers. That's nothing, man. That's tiny little pops. You know, they are loud for their size. But and I said, you need to get M60s, man. Those are my, or M80s. Those are loud. They're kind of expensive. But, you know, if you want loud M80s, you know, you only come happens once a year. And she's like, OK, I'll get M80s. So I upsold from lady fingers, not even to black cats like M M80s. And then uh, she wants something bright. So they try to sell her sparklers. I'm like, sparklers, that's like a buck a pack. You need like Saturn five batteries, you know, the five by fives and the 12 by 12s. And those are really, they're expensive. But so her, her purchase was went from like $3 to like $18. And, um, and she was much happier because it only happens once a year. Yeah. And so I, I was like, okay, I think I'm on, I, I think this is what I want to do, dad. I'm like, and so anyways, I tried to be a math professor for a while. Like that was my track and that didn't work out because it just turns out I wasn't very good at math. 
So back to fireworks sales, it was. Nice, nice. So let's talk about the first company that you know you would consider yep. a success. And we could talk about unsuccessful ones after that, but let's talk about yeah. how you started the, the successful one. Okay. So um, I did um, a natural language processing company, um, dropped out of school to do that back in the late 90s and sold that to a search engine, did a medical device company. We um, had a long term partnership with a big drug company. And then I did wearables, uh, which is what I think I'm most known for is the Misfit wearables uh, company brand and the exit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've had a few others since then, mainly uh, companies that we've invested in or uh, been inv- advised or whatnot. But Misfit is probably the most mm-hmm. interesting just because it's one of those companies where it's, we really built it from the ground up. And we, honestly, we were more lucky than good. You know, it was Providence, not skill. We, yeah, we built it from nothing, two person in an apartment, just, you know, my wife and I, and, um, and then Sridhar and John Scully joined as, as, as founders. And, um, and we were lucky because it was uh, right when the wearables trend was starting to happen. And before, most notably before Apple announced Apple Watch. So meaning it was, you know, look, you know, hardware is hard, but competing against Apple, that's really hard. That yeah. Maybe impossible. Yeah. So what types of things, you know, it started with you and your wife and your apartment, what types of things were you tracking from, you know, the apartment days all the way up to the exit, like your key performance indicators? So I think the main thing, the main t- thing was just understanding who, who to target. Mm-hmm. That's it. We, uh, you know, as we watched Fitbit and Jawbone and um, Fuelband, you remember those brands, you know, mm-hmm. and they, and I was just kind of like scratching my head, like uh, trying to understand a kind of very basic question, like why do people buy these things? And I'd ask people and I realized that people would basically lie to me, not necessarily kind of consciously, but they're like, oh, I want a healthier lifestyle. That's why I'm buying this stuff. I'm like, that, that sounds like a load of baloney to me because if you really just want to be healthier, you don't need a hundred dollar thing telling you that you're lazy. You need to just eat less, just eat less. Everyone knows that, you know? And so it was clear that it wasn't because of that. It was like their excuse, like a bet on themselves. So I realized, you know, as you dig deeper, it's like, oh, you just want to look better. That's really what you want. You want those abs. You want to look cool. You want to look like you're exercising, right? You want to be part of the fitness crowd but you don't actually like to, to exercise. Yeah, you're right. But I mean, a few people would, you know, I feel better after an exercise. I know, but if you, you don't actually like to actually do it, how about if you could have that feeling without actually exercising? Oh yeah. Then yeah, like that. Okay. Well, there you go. So it's not because you actually want to exercise. You want the benefits of exercise and you want to look more importantly, you want to look like you have the benefits of that, uh, of exercise. And so that's when we started to, to really focus on, our brand, our approach, our targeting towards fashion. And that was really our focus the whole time. And, and then as a result, we sold to, well, the fashion company, um, you know, Fossil. Got it. So how, how did you scale the team? How big was the team by the time the exit happened? When we uh, sold the company, we were 240 something people and about five to six of that team was in Asia. So that was the weird thing. One thing that was very different about what we did. So um, we had about 40 something people in Silicon Valley and then the rest, I hope the, the math works out. Uh, like I said, they were based in China and uh, Vietnam. So Vietnam was a huge uh, part of the the story. Uh, actually, this, the, the fulcrum of, of the misfit narrative was that 
most of the stuff happened in Vietnam, you know, engineering, data science, uh, the industrialization, the, all the, the plumbing of the company happened there. Wow. And so we were able to build a team pretty quickly, keep our costs down, keep our speed up, keep the level of aggression high. Um, yeah. And the, so the exit was within, I think, three and a half years or something like that. April 2012 to December 2015. So yeah, about two, three and a half years, a little bit more. Uh, so it was a, quite a run, I have to say. I mean, our you know revenue was was pretty, you know, the growth was pretty meteoric, especially for a hardware company at the time. You know, it's not like what, what's happening with all the fintech and SaaS companies now, but uh, back in 2000, 2012, it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty great. Nice. Nice. And for all the like young entrepreneurs out there that are listening, what would you say made you prepared for the exit? Now, obviously something, you know, everybody's different. Every business is different, but what were some things that you did that felt that you felt were really just key to making the exit happen and things like that you were organizing and keeping track of and stuff like that, that you could recommend? Yeah, I think the main thing is, you know, you're never really building a company for acquisition. You, you, if you do, you might be, you find yourself in a hard place, mm-hmm. um, but you build a company to be standalone and to be profitable and, and sustainable. Like you want to get to sustainability as fast as you humanly can. You know, that's that's really, really important, you know, because people are like, oh, we, we're building this. We want to get acquired by stripe or google or facebook or whatever well that's great but what if they don't acquire you so uh building a just a we're in a bit of a bubble in silicon valley where we get venture capital and most of the most businesses in the world have to grow organically you know because that's all the resources that's all they can that they because they have to just having strong business fundamentals of cash in versus cash out and and staying lean uh, a lot of people are like oh raise a lot of money and go move fast that makes sense. And I can imagine like that advice works for VCs because you're just one of 10 or 50 companies that they invested, that they probably more like 50 that they've invested in. And so they're telling you go slay the dragon. Yeah. Well, because if it doesn't work, oops, sorry. Oh, well, <laughs> let us know when you do your next company, next company, and then they can write that off, you know, because they want the 10X or 50X returns. Mm-hmm. But as an entrepreneur, this is your company. That's all you've got. Well, most people, 90% plus of their uh, net worth is tied into the, the highly illiquid, probably going to zero stock of, of their startup. And so balancing that growth versus, um, versus just good sense in terms of sustainability is important. Hey guys, Steve here and taking a quick pause from the interview. I know that selling a business can feel unattainable and just out of reach for everybody, but it's definitely something that is very reachable for people that are listening to this podcast with Flippa. And I've mentioned that this show is presented by Flippa. They have over 3 million users on their platform who are looking to acquire everything from content sites to e-commerce stores to SaaS platforms or even mobile applications. So if you're curious and want to know more about what your business is worth, head to flippa.com slash the exit for free valuations on your business. It takes a couple minutes to literally go through and you can just go through the whole process with without committing to anything at all. So once again, flippa.com slash the exit, check it out, get evaluation on your business without any commitments and just see exactly what your valuation of your business is worth. So let's dive into the interview. 
you briefly touched on it in 2012. You know, I remember the the Jawbone and the Fitbit kind of just going to the store and seeing them uh, really neck and neck. And then I remember Misfit uh, coming out. And what would you say around timing? I get this question a lot. Why was it the right time for you guys to sell to Fossil? What what, what made it the right time? Um, there's a couple of things. Uh, I mean, I was comparing notes with a friend who was involved with another company, I won't name the name, who had twice our revenue, but then it was acquired six months later at two thirds our price in the same industry. And it just seems like an injustice <laughs> to be completely honest. Like, why did we get this when they, you know, honestly were doing much better than we were. I think part of it was because um, timing is a huge part of it and also recognition, you know? So in 2013, uh, we, you know, Apple, I think it was 2013, they announced their, that Apple watch was coming. I was like, that's it. You know, they've got all of you guys, including us, we all have roughly two to three years to f- make our money and to get the heck out of this space because <laughs> that's by the time Apple gets to version three, maybe it'll take them version four, you know, but usually by third version, Apple gets it right. Um, that They're going to kick everyone's butt. Okay. So we need to get, so start, I mean, we just raised our like series A in 2012 and in 2013, I was telling our investors, everyone, we need to switch over. We need to pivot from wearables. They're like, what? Your name is Misfit Wearables and you're going to pivot out. I'm like, yeah, because you know, you got a big guy coming in like in two or three years time. So we were preparing our exit already in 2013 and our pivot at least. So we moved over to smart home. That was our big focus. So little do people know at the time of exit, we had 60 out of our 240 people working on a, on a, on a camera product, believe it or not. No one knows about that. Yeah. We had like a bunch of machine learning, deep learning, you know, computer vision people working on a smart home camera. And we, um, we never released it obviously. Uh, but because we got uh, we got acquired at that point, but uh, we were very excited to have a partner like Fossil to be a part of because it's like oh thank God like you know trying to survive on your own in the post 2015 world good luck in, in the wearable space you know and honestly kudos to Fitbit for having done so well because they're literally I think that's the only other wearables exit I know of that has done well i mean like in that era right um but now what's amazing is you see companies like whoop who have who are doing incredibly well and finally cracking that nut of of recurring revenue for a consumer play for consumer hardware play it's super hard so that those are pretty historic times and we're just yes i don't know what else i can say other than i think incredibly grateful for that exit yeah and that's a great segue into you know how the exit happened how how did the initial conversations start how did fossil approach you did you approach them how did it go so we a little bit of both actually so we had um you know we had, we've done the deal with Swarovski and Victoria's Secret with the versions of our misfit product uh, that was kind of uh, co-branded with them, you know, where we kind of uh, did a collaboration, basically a fashion collaboration. And those were great. I mean, we were very grateful for those partnerships, incredible companies and brands to work with, especially for our segment. And so we thought, hmm, what else was there? So we reached out to Kate Spade and um, and Michael Kors. And I was like, we got to get these account guys. So we were relentless. They were, we probably annoyed the heck out of those guys. But and they're like, who are these guys approaching us to do a collaboration? And I'm like, well, we did Swarovski and Victoria's Secret. How about you guys, you know? And eventually, I think they were in touch, but we little did we know because we were 
idiots. We didn't do our homework, but they were actually part of uh, Fossil Group in the sense that there was a, a licensing relationship between these brands and Fossil Group because Fossil Group is more than just Fossil. They they make the you know, Fossil Scoggin and that they have a number of brands that they own, and then all the other brands they they have licenses to. So they were in touch with the Fossil folks, and so we got a call from Fossil like middle of that summer of 2015. What's up? You know, you got. We hear you're interested in. Uh, fashion. Oh, absolutely. And then when we heard from Fossil, we were delighted. And I was like, oh, wow, what an amazing brand. And then that it was a very natural conversation because it was like, for me, I was like, oh, man, I'd love to make stuff for Fossil. And, you know, we're a group and have a bunch of brands. All oh, those are your brands. Oh, my gosh. I'm such an idiot. So we're like, we would love to do uh, wearables for all of those brands, you know. And they uh, they said, yeah, that's cool. But why don't we do it together? Totally. It, it, it totally makes sense. And so, uh, so that's when it happened. It was meant to be. Yeah. I like that where instead of, you know, a partner partnership with you guys going through all their brands, it just made sense for them to roll you up. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would have been happy to just do a commercial partnership. I mean, as a business, we were pretty, I mean, pretty strong financially at that point. Cause we we're doing, um, tens and almost, almost hundred, a uh, hundred million revenue. I mean, it's just like good revenue at that time, but boy, uh, parking, uh, with a, uh, with a company of that size, uh, especially with the looming Apple coming, it's like, Oh man, that was quite a relief. So was it an earnout? Did you guys have to stick around with Fossil? Did you, how long did you stay there? Did the team? Yeah. Yeah. There was a, uh, there was a, uh, obviously, uh, the, the, the vast majority of it was a upfront cash component, mm-hmm. um, and kind of a, the, the exit check. Right. And then there was, uh, there was a, a component where we were, uh, incentivized to stay. I mean, and we were incentivized to stay just personally because we wanted to see this through because to have a chance to work with such an incredible company like fossil to move, to help them build a wearables to, to establish them in wearables. And now, you know, we, we made wearables for, I think like 14 of their brands. So we finally got to see them do a Michael Kors product, a Kate Spade product and Armani product and an Armani product. Who would have thought that we could get to them and all because of the fossil thing. So, yeah, so that was, uh, that, that worked out both uh, kind of financially and I would say uh, emotionally, you know, cause that's what we wanted to do all along was to make wearables really beautiful and uh, something that you'd actually want to wear. You know, our thing at Misfit had always been, let's make something so beautiful and interesting that you'd wear it even if it wasn't working. Uh, you know, we had a chance, to, a really unique chance to do that with uh, with Fossil. Yeah. Yeah. I love it when things work out like that, where brands align and it just makes perfect sense. It just clicks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really clicked. You know, like we were looking, we were chasing them and then when we real, we didn't realize that that was the, the, you know those brands were actually part of another group. I guess one thing to say is you know, hey guys, make sure you do your homework. When you, uh, you know doing your homework and being prepared is a, a big part of the sales process because we're wondering why these brands didn't want to work with us for a while, and it's because they couldn't because yeah. it was part of something else. And how long did it take for the deal to to go through from the point where you guys said actually we're just gonna partner up and yeah and- it was it was pretty quick it was like see here june i think it was around june is when we got our first emails and then june or may june july august september signed definitive agreements in and announced at the beginning of november deal executed there was like some sec stuff that had i think uh, some legal stuff that where there was a 30-day wait period um and so i think 
uh, money in the bank at the, uh, uh, a couple of days before Christmas. Excellent. Excellent. And the kind of finale question that we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about failures earlier and the importance yep. there. Um, the finale question is knowing what you know now, what would you tell Sonny 10 years ago? Yeah. You know, I, I love that question. And I, and despite me liking that question, I, I still have a hard time answering that um, except for one answer that I have always gone to. And that is, I feel like in my youth, I've squandered my time learning. That's one thing. I, I think um, investing in long shelf life knowledge early is really important. I mean, these days I, I never watch the news. I don't read the trade, you know, like the tech blogs. I don't do any of that stuff. I figured if anything's important, I'll, someone will tell me. Um, I don't really watch sports though. I don't watch it ever. I, I, I should never watch sports. Um, and so whenever I have time, I, I scurry away to, to read or study. A, a tag publication, uh, you know, the shelf life of that is a few minutes, right? And uh, a, a, a nice business book, shelf life is probably, I don't know, a month, right? Uh, most, I, most business books, I think, not worth reading. I was just talking to a friend. I was telling him, you should stop reading these business books. Read summaries of them, because that's basically all the, the amount of density of information that there is in a book. You know, someone just had to, like, publish something so they can say they wrote a book, but yeah, long life, a long shelf life knowledge, invest in that early um, because I'll, you'll carry that with you. That's for your life and you'll reap the compound interest of that knowledge for years to come. Uh, whether it's a language, learn physics, man, learn how to program stuff, learn Python, you know, learn, you know, and even if you don't think you can do it, take it one step at a time, get a good tutor, oh, online tutors, the best investment you can, you, you, you can, you can make for yourself. Mm. I've been doing a lot of that and it's, it's so much fun because, you know, you have someone to study with you. Well said, well said. I've actually noticed that trend a bit with successful entrepreneurs like yourself and the willingness to learn and consistently keep yourself in the know uh, is compounding. Uh, like you said, so those are all the questions I have for you. What are you working on now and where can people yep. learn about it? Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, for, uh, after the Misfit exit, we uh, were running a small, we have been, we're still running a small family office where we invest in deep tech companies, uh, mostly climate change reversal uh, deep tech. So a lot of food and inter- we're doing the food stuff like the meatless meats and the, the dairy stuff, like from a very early, like the mid 2000 to 2010s. And it was weird back then. Now it's normal, but so food, energy, new materials, semiconductors, stuff that is, uh, I, would, I guess uh, people would consider hard tech, but if it worked, you could really have a needle changing uh, potential for, for the planet. Recently, I uh, re-entered the operating role. I was really just, you know, I just realized I don't really know how much I really enjoy investing, but operating a company, uh, we found a Revo, which is a carbon fiber composites company. We 3D print stuff in carbon fiber, like bikes and scooters and chairs. And so I've been doing that. And that's been a lot of fun building a, a big print farm for that. And I'm also involved in a company called Impact Biosystems, which is a smart recovery device. You know, for, for all those Zoom workers or or athletes who are trying to recover faster, we built a smart massager. So um, that's just been launched. It's called the Pact P A C T uh, device. Uh, it's the first first full feedback uh, smart massage system, and well, we just launched that actually yesterday on Indiegogo. So uh, you can find that there. But um, but yeah, deep tech, just a lot of fun uh, having fun uh, doing that. 
Well, those are all the questions I have for you, everyone, wherever you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud, all the links that Sonny mentioned will be in the show notes. But once again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Sonny. It's great to be here, Steve. It's such an honor.